Well, hey, everybody, this is Andrew Young, and I am blessed to, to lead us in the next chapter of Philippians as we're walking through this book. I've taught this chapter a lot, especially with our student ministry, and um, I just, it's, I'm amazed every time I read it in its completeness how, how great it is um, to really see Christ and his example. Um, and so um, we're going to take some time to walk through chapter two of Philippians verses 1 through 11 today. If you're with me, turn there, and we're going to jump right into this passage. And so uh, let's let's go ahead and jump into it. So just some context again. Paul continues in this letter to the church of Philippians by furthering this focus on Christ. Um, at the end of chapter 1, he kind of summarized a lot of what he was talking about by encouraging this body believers. For, in, for instance, in verse 27, he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, stand firm in the spirit and have one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And what a, what a just a compelling encouragement to this church and for us today. But as practical as you can kind of get, but also bringing in the theology of where he's going, his Christology, Paul expands this idea in chapter two on that very theme. Um, he points directly to unity in Christ that directly impacts the unity in the church, which directly impacts your love for one another. And really, the theme of this chapter is going to be on humility. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot and see the example of Christ in humility. So what I really love about Paul, and you're going to hear a little bit of the youth minister come out here, is the uniqueness in which he writes in. Paul is like an amazing writer, but he's just unique in how he writes. And I tend to call Paul, in, in light humor, the master of the sandwich, or maybe a sandwich artist is better in his layout of truth. He's often seen placing something important, truthful, in between two similar foundational or important truths. So in my mind, a sandwich. Um, some of you may have just gotten hungry. I don't know. It's maybe after church or whatever, but there you go. Sorry. But many times, Paul will look to rebuke a church or a certain someone for something they have or continuing to do in sin, but he will strategically place that in between two encouragements. So he would encourage them, rebuke or share some truth or something that that church needed to hear and then encourage them again. So that is how he writes uniquely. And here in chapter two, he spiritually is kind of building the sandwich. Um, the place in which he begins and ends is with how God himself has shown us or motivated us in humility. In the middle is like this practical living out of that in our own lives. It's the application of it for our lives. So before we dive in, though, what is humility? I don't think we've stated that in the first chapter, but what is humility? Um, so if you want to go Merriam-Webster Dictionary, um, humility is a freedom of pride or arrogance. We usually say it's the opposite of pride or arrogance. A modest view of one's own importance, right? And humility is not just a biblical term or attitude, but we do want to build it from a biblical side or a biblical mindset. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I really like the way that he um, just brings that to a simplicity. Um, but we really want to see what this chapter says on humility as we build that um, that definition. So let's hear what Paul and the words say on humility. We're just going to read the first four verses, one through four here to begin. So in chapter two, Paul states, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And just to share, I'm using the ESV for this Bible study today. So let's break that down because, again, we got this sandwich model that we're talking about. Um, reverse Paul, uh, verse 1, Paul reminds the church this truth, that we are all motivated to be like Christ. Why? Because we share these threads of love as God's people. We're all connected. We're all binded together in this. These are important reminders to this church and for us today as why we should live in unity and why we should humble ourselves daily. So let's look at these reminders. He shares four things from verse one. He says, firstly, we have been encouraged by Christ. So we know him. We've been saved by him through his grace, his mercy. And he has stated that he's with us in all these things. Uh, Secondly, he says, we've been comforted by love. Now, we know God is love. We go read that in 1 John, but he loves us in spite of our sin, Romans 5, 8, and then compels us to love and comfort others in the same love, like 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says. And there's so much just rooted in that encouraging for us. Um, thirdly, he says, share or participate in fellowship with the Spirit. So it is his Spirit that, it, that gives us unity, that gives us fellowship as the church. And so we need to see that and share in that. And number four, lastly, he says, we share in affection and sympathy. God has shown great compassion for his people. That's that affection. That's that sympathy to know and understand what we've been going through. He has tended and looked to the interests of us, of others. He's looked to our needs and he continued to do that in his ministry while he was here. And you see that systematically throughout the Bible. And so it is all through all these reminders that we see the framework of where humility and our compassion for others are from. And it is in knowing God and seeing God in that compassion and humility in our salvation and in our lives that we get our motivation. So it's a really awesome picture here in verse one of just laying that foundation, that top bun, if we want to talk about. But here it is where he gets to the meat, right? Verse two, three, and four. And he really comes practically to see our humility lived out. Now, this isn't the high point of this chapter, which is which is awesome. Again, this is just an awesome chapter and passage but there's some really great practical application for us to just pull out right away. Verse two, he kind of points back to chapter one again. He says, be in the same mind, in one mind. And again, we talked about verse 27 of chapter one, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So he's encouraging us, have this love, this unity of love, the same love that the church is supposed to love with and love one another through it. A love that you have for God, which is then, um, overflowed into the love for one another. And that's not just to the church. It's, there is a par- portion of that to the church, but for everyone to love one another. But verse 3 and 4, he says this in verse 3 and 4, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. So what is he saying here? Here's our here's us putting together this biblical or at least from Philippians chapter 2 this this picture of humility. He says, "Don't live your life selfishly. Instead, live your life in humility 
which is what? To count others more significant than yourself. Don't look to just your own interests, but look to the interests of others. So this is our this is our definition right here of what humility is, what Paul is encouraging this church to do in unity and then love. They're to put on this humble attitude and mindset. And I would say it's it's hard to say, it's even harder to do, but we're not alone in this. This is something that Christ is working in our lives through, the Spirit is helping us through. And again, we're going to see where Jesus really, really exemplifies this. But here's some questions that we would need to reflect on as we talk about practicality in our life with this. Am I competing for people's attention and approval? Do I find it difficult or easy to rejoice in others' success? Am I concerned with the needs of others? And we're talking all around me. It's easy to love ourselves. It's easy to really take care of oneself. But are we looking to take care of others in that same way? In the same way that you would love yourself, would you take care of others in their interests and their needs? And it's a, it's a really tough thing, again, to say, a tough thing to do, but in Christ, we can do it. So um, from just my life, I was reflecting on this the last few weeks. Um, I have a two-year-old at home and a 10-month-old, so it's busy. It is busy at home, and there are no breaks when we go. When I'm home, there's no breaks at all. And I confess to you that at times, I don't want to head home to, from work because I know that I won't be able to just sit on the couch and rest, right? And there... There is a mindset and an attitude there that is that is selfish. That's, you know, hey, this is what I would like. Um, but that's really selfish towards my wife, especially, um, who's taking the hardest job in caring for our family full time. She's always there. She's never going to get to go to work where I get a break, really. Um, so in Christ, as believers, we must remind ourselves that we need to humble ourselves daily and ask God to give us the attitude to put others' needs before our own. Because it represents, it points to a God who put your needs first. And when I come to God for help, and when I ask Christ to help me, to strengthen me, to give me the right motivation, I head home thinking instead, maybe not selfishly about myself, but I don't have to care for my kids, my family, I get to. Right? There's a difference in a mindset and a change in my heart, in my mind, that this is something in humility I desire now. I really want to do because it's because Christ is working through me. I've asked Him to work through me, and this is a part of my life that I get to honor and glorify Him through by taking care of my wife and my family and yeah, going through some hard things sometimes that I don't really want to do. And so that's part of our sanctification. That's part of our growth as Christians. That's part of what we're talking about here. And so when we are unified in Christ with one mind, with one another in love as the church, we see the grace of humility as we serve one another. A humble person thinks of others. An arrogant, selfish person only cares for themselves. John Stott says it this way, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. So how do you show the world that's rooted in this culture, that's rooted in media, that's rooted maybe away from a biblical word um, standpoint, that you are in Christ and set apart? Well, here it is, to live in humility, motivated by Christ. So remember the sandwich? 
Of course you do. You're probably eating one right now as we speak. Um, I really want one now. But here's the foundational bottom. Let's read verses 5 through 8. So verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this is why this is one of the most incredible passages in all of Scripture. It emphasizes the humility of Christ, who became a servant, who died on the behalf of sinners to the glory of God. And due to his work on the cross and through his resurrection, he is exalted at the end of this as King and Savior. He is our example. And when we talk about humility, we're encouraging this church, our church, to have the same mind, the same love, to be in the same full accord and unity, and to live in humility. And Christ comes and shows us the greatest example of humility, and it's awesome. So again, verse 5, that same reminder, have the same mind that is in Christ. He will show us the way. He is the leader. He is the king that will lead us in this. But this is where we kind of get into some real deep, awesome theology, Christology of who Christ is as we work through these verses. In verse 6, he says, "...who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped." So, we have to be careful with this verse. What this is not saying is that Jesus is a separate form or being of God, or that he was created by God the Father. What it speaks to is the divinity of God. Jesus pre-existed before creation. He was not a created being or there was a change in his nature. We can look to Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, John chapter 1 for reference. But he continues to be the very nature and essence of God himself. And it says he did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. So this gives us some insight into the amazing nature of who Christ is. He did not consider being God grounds for getting, but instead for giving. When Paul says grasped here, he means these were his benefits as a king of glory, his blessing. But what he's doing here is by his example, he's giving us a picture of true, perfect humility and generosity. This is truly what service to someone else looks like. Not thinking of yourself and what you have or could lose, but what the interests and the needs of the other or other persons are. So how do we go from taking and get uh, how do we go from taking and getting things to giving or to humility and to being generous? Well, you look and you turn to Jesus. He's the amazing example that we have. Now let's look at verse 7 and 8. These kind of go hand in hand, but it says in verse 7, But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this shows us how he humbled himself to our needs. Paul states that he emptied himself. That Greek word, kino, is to just make empty or void or nothing. But Christ willingly veiled his deity. Was it still there? Absolutely, but he veiled it. He did not surrender it. That's really key. 
But what he did do is he took on humanity. He was fully man and fully God. What does it say? It says he took on the form of a servant. So he humbled himself from his place in heaven, and he humbled himself to humanity and was born to the likeness of men. We know that he was born to the Virgin Mary. Now, what was his purpose? What was he doing all this? Verse 8, he humbled himself obediently to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. This was his purpose, his reason for coming. He put our needs and our interests before his very own, and that is true humility. His whole life was marked with humility from the beginning when he was born, just as Christ in a manger was born, to showing servant leadership he displayed throughout his life and his ministry, and ultimately, humility by humbly giving himself up on the cross for the sins of mankind. This is awesome. It's an awesome picture of of humility. But it doesn't just stop there, right? We're not done at verse 8. Um, 9, 10, and 11 show this amazing upward look at his exaltation. So we see that self-humiliation in Christ, or his self-humiliation leads to his, I guess you could say, super exaltation, which is his exaltation, his praise. So let's read the last three verses of Philippians 2. It says, verse 9, Therefore, because of all of this, right, therefore, God has highly exalted him. That's awesome. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I've seen this um, this this shape before, the way that they describe this, this passage, and it looks like a U. So if you think of this passage like the letter U, and this is the brilliance of how it's just divinely written. But Christ in heaven and his preexistent glory is at the top of one side of this U. And his love for his people, um, his humility, he empties himself and takes on humanity in self-humiliation. This is where he kind of goes in a decrease in the U. And at the bottom of the U is his crucifixion, his lowest point of humility, right? To the people that he came to live, lay his life down for in service. And at the moment that he has his crucifixion and resurrects, it turns upward. And we see this exaltation of Christ back to his place of glory at the top of the U. So that's where the brilliance of this passage is, is is you just see this amazing, divinely written shape of the U in his self-humility all the way to his self and super exaltation of who Christ is. And what does verse 9 say? It says that God has highly exalted him, and his name is above every name. We know this is Jesus. I mean, this name could be Lord or other versions of God, but it is the Son of God, Jesus, who deserves our praise and glory for what he did in his humility. And verse 10 and 11 is really clear about that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every person on earth, in heaven, under the earth, at some point in their life will bow the knee, will confess Jesus as Lord. It is because of his self-humiliation, his great sacrifice, and his gift to lay down his life that he is worthy of that exaltation, but that is really the center point of this. And we praise God for being a humble, loving God And this is just one of those great pictures of it here in Philippians chapter 2. So two big takeaways or the application that I would say for you all today. A professor in seminary would always say to me in class, 
good theology leads to good doxology, meaning that when we understand and know more about God, it will lead us to praise and worship. And this passage is the case and the point of that. Now, this is one of these one one of four main passages in the New Testament that really talk about the Christology, really point to what Jesus has done for us. Like I mentioned before, John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, and Philippians chapter 2. So here's what I would encourage you guys to do. Take time to really reflect over this. Take time to glean and soak up what Christ has done in your life, what he has done in his humility, what he has done for you and I. And it is crucial for us as Christians to know who we follow, who is Lord of our life and what he has exemplified and done in our lives. What an amazing picture of Christ. This is why he deserves to be exalted. But number two, we should not forget that humility is the center of this chapter and passage. And we see how Jesus modeled it and really led the way for us to be servants who put the needs of others before our own. So pray and reflect on your own lives. Maybe those questions from before. Maybe the question, where am I being selfish? Um, am I looking at myself others than, than others instead of others? And maybe that's investing and serving more, maybe immediately your family, those at your jobs, those in your community, but also at your church. Where are you putting the needs of others before your own as Christ did for us? So I'll be praying for you all this week. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of this body that we would love one another and share in that fellowship that the Spirit brings here at FBC Keller. Y'all have a good week.